0: Welcome, listeners, to the Premium Investment Leaders podcast brought to you by Premium Australia, one of Australia's leading investment platforms and specialists in managed accounts. I'm Damien Chilmey, Head of Investment Managers and Governance, and today we're joined by Grant Berry, Portfolio Manager at SG Hiscock. Welcome, Grant.
1: Thank you, Damien. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Thank you. So, a bit of background: SG Hiscock, uh, founded in 2002, manage uh, just over two billion dollars in a range of strategies, but are uh, specialists in Australian uh, property. And uh, so, with uh, Grant today, we're going to continue with our um, our series on implications of the post-COVID economy. Uh, and today with a real focus on the property sector. So it's a really juicy topic, this one, and everyone that you speak to is implicated, has an opinion on it, because it's about residential property, it's about offices, it's about um, retail, and it affects us all. So we we think there's a lot to uh, cover in this topic here, and I think uh, something for everyone. So just a bit about Grant before we get started. He uh, joined S.G. Hiscock as one of the founders back in 2002 and Director and Portfolio Manager of AREITs. He has over 25 years experience, previously at National Australia uh, Asset Management, a Victorian Funds Management Corporation and Knight Frank. So thanks for joining us again. Um, so we're going to get started. We'll talk about um, the Australian consumer. We set a bit of a backdrop about the consumer and residential property uh, before we get into specifics about companies. But how do you see the state for, you know, for Australian consumers? Because we've got JobKeeper rolling off. It's a concern for some. But uh, well, what's the real story out there for the Australian consumer?
1: Well, I really like to go back to here we are sitting here in April and I like to sort of cast back to where we were you know, February, March, April last year, you know, take ourselves back 12 Mm. months ago. And we went into COVID, it's something that we've never experienced before, you know, grandparents haven't experienced it. So, you know, it's been an incredible journey. And, you know, initially for the consumer, you know, we saw the shutdown of the economy, we saw the shutdown of your ability to go to your shopping centres and so on. Um, And we saw, obviously, people were very concerned about their jobs. Now, since then, um, a number of things have happened. We've, you know, Obviously, the economy is opening up now and we're getting out and about, which is really positive. The COVID situation has materially improved. Vaccines are on their way. My wife's been vaccinated. My mother just got vaccinated on the weekend. This is happening. This is real. Um, we've also seen very strong government response in terms of fiscal stimulus. Yeah. So as we hit sit here today, it's really interesting. We've seen the highest savings rate um, by the consumer since the 1970s. It got as high as 20%. It's now moved back to a little bit over 10%. So the household balance sheet is in great shape. We've seen the housing market stage a recovery and forecasts have now gone from being negative this time last year to being positive mm. and quite materially positive. Um, we've still got you know, a bit of that stimulus, but that's now unwinding. We've got tax cuts in the system. We've got consumer confidence, the highest it's been really decade level highs. That's amazing. Which is yeah. you know, quite incredible. So the consumer is in good shape. The other thing that I didn't appreciate before this is Australians, we all love to travel, I love to travel, but I always think of us as a tourist destination. Mm. Australians are actually net spenders overseas to the tune of about $70 billion. It's
0: true, anyway you go overseas, there's always an Australian there with you. Exactly,
1: that goes out of the country. So that now is not going out of the country, so it's finding its way in a home. Now we could pay down debt, but interest rates are low, um, you know, and people are feeling more confident. So we're seeing things like you know car sales going up. We're seeing boats going up, and you know this will find its way into retail um, sales as well. So, and then finally, we are social creatures. We want to get out and about and do things and experience things. So you're seeing the activity increase as well. So I actually think that we are in good shape. I know JobKeeper is rolling off. Um, But if we went back to, say, September last year, people were talking about the big fiscal cliff. Mm. It didn't eventuate. And I feel that's very much the case again now. I believe that the runway is very good for the economy um, and people's willingness and the household is in good shape. So I believe that that will see us through um, to a very... Quite a good period for retail,
0: and and that uh, the Australian consumer, uh, I mean, that is such an important part of the economy. It's 60, 70 percent of GDP generally uh, out of that, so it's an important part to start with, and then we can move on to the other areas. So, let's uh, focus on residential property, and as as you said, like uh, a day's a long time in politics, but twelve months, twelve months ago, you know, we were staring down the barrel of potential residential uh, property crash, banks were provisioning, expecting the worst out of this. And now we have a look, recently, we're, we're in a boom period for uh, residential property. So how do you see that one uh, playing out?
1: It's, again, it's really fascinating, because as you said, Damien, 12 months ago, um, you know, we haven't experienced this before, but when you have a recession, you know, very much the residential market really feels the brunt of it. Yeah. And that's what we're facing in, in, March last year prior to the um, stimulus. On top of that, which made it even more problematic is we had the whole disruption of the sales process. Mm. You, you yeah. couldn't have people through your sales office, yep. you couldn't conduct a public auction, so it was very problematic. Now since then, we've seen monetary response obviously from the RBA, interest rates are very low. Um, we've also seen, uh, a, if you like, a relaxing of credit conditions. If you remember, we had the Royal Commission, credit was very, very tough. Um, it was very granular to get finance. That has been somewhat loosened. And then finally we've seen government stimulus, in particular the home builder. So what we're seeing now, we were seeing, and I was just on the call actually with Stockland this morning, they just provided a quarterly update. We've seen very strong demand for land sales. Mm. In fact, Stockland in their December quarter was the strongest quarter that they've had since 2017. Wow. Their March quarter was just under 1,900 lots, so it's off a bit, but we see them averaging prior to this, more like 1,500 lots, so it's still elevated. Um, so that's happening there. The residential market, I think, um, if I have a good bit of time, and I know we can't talk all day and, you know, this oh, is a topic- we could try. This is a topic we could talk all day, <laughs> but I think that there's some interesting trends in there as well. Um, I think that there's going to be a bit more of a preference and we've even asked our clients that. I hosted a webinar a week ago. Um, A bit more of a preference towards lifestyle and space. If we're working from home a bit more, and I am a believer that there will be a little bit more of that, then we need the home office and we'll certainly appreciate that space and we can sacrifice the commute a bit. And the commute at the moment is quite easy, I'm finding. Um, And the other thing is the lifestyle. The next thing is the suburbs have been revitalized. And I know locally where I'm living, and I don't want to just get caught up in my own experience, but the suburb has certainly revitalized through COVID um, and that attachment to the community. Yep. The next thing is with apartments, if you were downsized into an apartment and you were in lockdown, the experience wouldn't have been great. No. Um, if you're a young person and the millennials, they're now stepping into the nesting phase, if you like, family formation, they're looking for space. Um, so you've got that as well. And then finally, the investor, which is not that prevalent at the moment, but the investor, the experience of um, apartments has not been good. Yeah. So I do think that the part of the market that will do well is those properties which have um, that connectivity to the city. They're still a commute, but they've got a bit more space and a bit more lifestyle attached to it. And we're certainly seeing that. Um, in what's happening in prices, you know that's where we're getting the strongest response.
0: And that's it's an interesting point because it, it seems like a lot of the activity at the moment is more around our primary residence activity rather than hardcore um, investor speculation at the moment. So, it, it's, it's, and it, I think everyone rethinking about what they want to do. And th- this is what makes this topic uh, so interesting because it's such a personal topic for everyone. Now let, let's get on to to the office because the office in a way is this is all interconnected about the the residential stuff and you're just talking about you know do, do I have more space do I kind of want to be closer to certain parts of my community but then you know what does it mean about going into the office and I think everyone's really thinking about what does it mean what is your office going to become okay yeah. are we going to go in five days a week What's the reason for coming into the office? So what are you hearing and seeing about not only w- uh, employees, but employers, how they're viewing the the office space and then what that's going to mean for demand for, for commercial uh, property as well?
1: Yes, yeah, a great question and we don't completely know the answer, but I do have a, a, um, a view um, on this and we're going through this exercise ourselves. We're in the same building as you, Damien, yep. and our lease expires in a year's time. So I'm actually out there in the market looking at options and thinking about our own space requirements. So I do think that there will be more work from home going forward, that's the starting point. But we're not all gonna work from home. The office is the core of culture, it's required for collaboration, it's required for mentoring. So it's very important, that's certainly what we're finding um, as well. So we definitely need to have the office. My thinking is there will be probably an additional day a week work from home maybe two at the stretch. So what we're seeing is a lot of organisations are shifting to about three days a week at the moment. Yep. I don't know if it'll settle there, but that seems to be... It It seems to gravitate around the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yep. Right? I think was, you had an acronym for this. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. people are starting to call it TWAT. Yes. Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. Um, now, the problem with that is if it was more spread out, then you could actually potentially shift down... Your space requirements because mm. you could spread it out it doesn't seem to be yeah, doing equally
0: that. over the five days exactly and yeah. it
1: doesn't seem to be doing that um, as i mentioned we're looking at space we're also mindful of surveys i did that webinar we asked our investors as well what they're seeing and everyone overwhelmingly recognized recognizes there'll be more work from home i also went to a meeting with a major institutional landlord it's one of the biggest in the country this morning and they surveyed 450 of their employers, tenants, and they got 150 responses. So they didn't really respond that overwhelmingly. Um, and they want people back in the office. So the, it seems the employee wants to be at home mm. in some cases, and the employer wants them back in the office. And there's going to be a bit of a meeting here. Yeah. I think what we'll, we'll probably see is um, you will have that call move in. But the smaller tenants, such as ourselves, will find it hard to shift down our space requirements. We will need more meeting rooms. We will be doing more Zooms. We need better connectivity um, to facilitate that. The larger tenants have more ability to reduce their space. When I've gone out looking for space in the market for our own use requirements, what I'm finding I'm hearing from the agents is there's good inquiry at our level but there's not much inquiry at the bigger end of town, right. you know, the big space users. So that's what I'm seeing.
0: So they, they've got more concern about how much space that they need? Is, is that what's holding them back? Yeah, the bigger,
1: the, bigger, um, the bigger users of space, if you like, are still working through this and mm. thinking about it a bit more. But for people like ourselves, and I reckon we are a really good example of this, we know our space requirements are going to be pretty similar. Um, we know we'll probably need more meeting rooms but we can see now's the time to do a deal. Yeah, like yeah. now is the time, while there's this haze, now's the time to cut the best deal. And yeah. that's why we're taking that proactive position, I suspect others are. i would be interested in your view and what you're seeing and, and you know the occupancy in your building as an example. Very, very similar,
0: um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the, the biggest days. I've been in over every day of the week, Mondays and Fridays are very, very light. Um, And we may get into the same position. I would say at the moment we're probably running at about maybe 30% of headcounts still even on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday days. Um... Uh, but we're going to get to a situation where we, um, we've we put on more staff but not necessarily more uh, space. space. So we're going to probably run into an issue where Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays is too heavy and we're going to have to spread some of that one out. Yeah. But I, st- I still think yep. that we're a while off because I think we're only doing about 30% at the moment.
1: You're a good statistic because this is the statistics that we're seeing, Damien. So in Sydney, where they can actually be in the office... Yeah. The latest PCA data at the end of March is 50%, mm. and in Melbourne it's just over 30 Yeah. And I was in a major, the newest CBD office building in Melbourne last week, they can have 5,500 people in their building, um, 4,000 is what they're running to, but only 1,000 are actually going into the building. Wow, yeah, okay. And yet we can be in the office. Mm. So if you were to say that work from home is not real, I think you'd be naive. It's, it's here, it's real, it's going to be a headwind. But the other thing which is really important for office is business conditions Mm -hmm. and if business conditions are strong and they are bouncing back very solidly, that somewhat um, negates the impact of the work from home, like that's something to watch out for and that's positive. In terms of our portfolio and our settings, we have more of a bias towards a suburban office at the moment as opposed to the CBD Mm. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. We are seeing reasonable demand in these markets. Like, I mean, Canberra is a market's doing well. Perth actually is doing a market, is doing well, the CBD markets. But we're also seeing good demand in some of the fringe markets and some of the suburban markets. They're holding up well. They don't tend to go down as much in cycles, um, so they're more resilient. The rents are a lot lower, and they have an abundance of parking. So, you know, with that commute, they're quite accessible. So we've got a bit more of a bias in our portfolio towards Perth, and towards the suburban markets. Because mm.
0: that's what I wanted to, to kind of follow on, which is saying, okay, maybe the office is not dead, is mm. question number one. Yep. And I think we're conclusive, it's not dead. Yep. And then the question is, is it the CBD or has it been relocated? Because maybe more people are living down the Mornington Peninsula, so maybe Frankston becomes a better office destination because they've got more people living down there instead. Because of that whole lifestyle Trans, uh, transportation, if you will, mm. or transplanted. So you've seen a little bit more activity going on in more uh, fringe areas rather than just the CBD per
1: se. Yeah, there has been. And I think going forward, picking up on that that point, I think that we'll see that. I remember when we were hosting that webinar, I just picked up the paper and I looked at, um, going back to residential, but property prices that week. And of the top 10 properties sold by private treaty and auctions. Six of them by the water. One was in Middle Park. The next was in Parkdale yeah, and in yeah, Aspendale. Yeah. And then two in Mount Martha and then one in Rye. Mm. So there is definitely this shift. So people are shifting. That might buy us a little bit more to it. Geelong, over the last five years, house prices have outpaced Melbourne. Wow. Coming off a lower yeah, base. Yeah. And, okay. and yep. you know, some people say people aren't moving down there, but they're real. It is happening. My brother-in-law's moved down there. Yeah. Um, and I can see more of a shift. So there could be a bit more of a shift towards some of these markets at the margin. I'm not talking so about where So could be. be
0: the next financial uh, centre of, uh, of Australia or? Uh, definitely.
1: <laughs> I'm not suggesting that for a moment, but Williams Landing. Yeah. Um, you know, and Cedar Woods have built a, a, an office building there. Yeah. Um, is becoming a you know, its own little town centre. So, you know, this is happening. The government's always wanted decentralisation. It's mm. never really been able to achieve it's it. It's true. Yeah, but yeah. COVID actually yeah. might, you know, provide the opportunity for that. It's, it's good if we have an element of um, decentralisation and sort of have these trains that are taking people out as well as taking people in and so on.
0: Yeah, and uh, obviously we're seeing also with uh, regional centres even going up to uh, Ballarat yep. and uh, Bendigo as well, there's a bit of a renaissance uh, up there too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, You've seen uh, with school yes. enrolments as well uh, as a bit of a uh, leading indicator of some of that as well. So yeah, very interesting. So let's uh, go on to retail now. Um, so another event from COVID is, yeah, we were a self-isolation. Yes, there, there was a lot of online uh, retail activity previously in, say, electronics and a bit of clothing. But people self-isolating from home, you had to buy your apples online. You couldn't go in. And that was always the thing where people thought, oh, How does uh, really online work in that kind of environment? But we saw everyone was was a duck to water, if you will, uh, to to that one there. So have you seen, you know, we we had that period there in Victoria, went on for a long uh, period of time, Um, but uh, now uh, we can go back out. So what does that mean for online sales and then kind of retail shopping centres?
1: Yes, um, well, online is not new. I mean, it really happened in the last tech boom. In Mm. fact, I've got an article um, from Time Magazine 1998, which had the death of the mall because of the emergence of online. And since then, we've seen the development of Westfield London, you know, Chadston here locally has gone on a massive expansion. So it certainly hasn't been the death of the mall. It's accelerated with, you know, the advent of the smartphone um, and so on. Now, lockdown is a very unique experience. We were forced to shop online. We could not leave our house. And in the case of Victoria, you could only leave your house for an hour, really. Yeah. It was very limited. So that forced us to go online. If I if I used, as an example, one of the stocks that we own, GPT, um, what they found was their online sales pre-COVID was sitting at a, a bit above 10%. You know, that's, that's what was going to online within their catchment area. It moved right up to north of 20% because people are forced to shop online. Yep. Now it's moved back down the last time I looked at it to closer to 15%. So it is a bit higher than where it was before, but it's moved back down markedly. What's really interesting with their portfolio is their market share pre COVID was was lower than online. It was, it was sub 10% and then it really fell away because the sales shifted to online. But their market share now is actually higher in their catchment area than where it was pre-COVID. And you go, well, how's that work yeah.
0: out? There's a bit more bigger destination there,
1: their catchments got bigger? Total, totally, they, because they own the great assets. They mm. own good assets. And if I used um, say Melbourne CBD as an example, they own Melbourne Central. Mm. You know, through normal times, that is one of the best retail assets to own in the country. Very productive, massive foot traffic, sits on top of a, a railway station. If you walk around Melbourne CBD at the moment, you'll see a lot of empty shops. It's It's quite sad Mm. in that respect. They will come back. But their shopping centre is in a much better position. It's got a much higher level of occupancy. They've kept those tenants through this challenging period. They're high-quality shops and the foot traffic's coming back. So they're going to catch a market share ahead of everyone else. Mm. So I'm using that as an example. The other interesting thing about retail is we're shopping more locally. We are more at home, so we're we're gravitating towards our local shops and convenience and the suburban shopping centres have revitalised as well. And I do believe some of that will be more enduring, that we will continue to shop a bit more locally going forward as opposed towards, as, as opposed to the CBD. We will shop a bit more online um, going forward than what we did in the past, but it's not going to be this wholesale shift. Yep. Online experience hasn't always been great. Things, it can be clunky, it doesn't always arrive on time. Um, The experience isn't as great and we are social creatures. We want to get out and see things and experience it. And the shopping centres have pivoted more towards the experience in Mm. terms of what their offerings are.
0: Yeah. And so conventionally, um, a lot of our property managers have talked about a bit of a barbell approach uh, from a portfolio construction point of view. The big a grade uh, assets coupled with uh, suburban uh, centres for, for convenience, and that middle ground was always you know to be avoided in a sense. Has that changed a little bit now, given the kind of
1: decentralisation that's uh, going on? It's an interesting question. Potentially, it has. Um, potentially, some of these other centres, um, you know, could revitalise to a degree. But fundamentally, I do like the barbell approach. I like owning these great destinational centres that we want to go to. The yeah. barriers to entry to build these centres are very high. You're just yeah, not yeah. going to do it. Yeah. And I do believe that we'll shop more locally going forward for our convenience. Um, and that's at the other end of the barbell. So I think that that is still fundamentally the right approach. Um, within that middle ground, there might be some pickings in, in there, but they're also now might also be the opportunity to sell some of those assets because they can be pretty well bid. Yep. So you can get rid of those lower quality assets out of your portfolio while the market will, you know, transact and support those. So, um, yeah, so I guess in summing up, fundamentally I do believe in that still, and I'd probably have a bit more of a bias towards the local than what I had pre-COVID.
0: Okay. Interesting. It's good. Mm. Um, and then following that topic of, um, of online sales we kind of get onto a industrial as another sector as well. And uh, that would be around distribution centers, given there's not the same bricks and mortar approach for, for retail sales out of there. This is a topic that's been you know well in play for five, six, seven years, and it's been bid very, very hard. How are you seen this sector? Is it overdone? Is it too hot or it's still got more to go?
1: Yeah, well, everyone loves industrial. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, is it
0: a hedge? People are looked at it as a hedge historically on retail as well.
1: Yeah, they have. They've seen it. We'll play that, and it's a very simplistic and a somewhat cumbersome view to just yeah. go. Retail is going to be a, a you know a net decline, and industrial is going to be the net beneficiary. It yeah. is more complex than that. And because people have taken this fairly simplistic view, we've now found that industrial is the most expensive of all the core property subsectors. There's a big transaction looming at the moment called Milestone, mm-hmm. an industrial portfolio, and they're talking about that selling on potentially a yield of less than 4%. Wow. Now that yield for a, what is really a generic industrial portfolio. It's a shed. Um. <laughs> it's a shed. Is, is the same as Chadston. Yeah. Now, Chadston is the best country, the best real estate asset in the country and one of the best globally. It's just awesome. It's just a compounding machine. Mm. I mean, I, when I go there with my kids, I just naturally get excited because I think <laughs> of the, the investment opportunity. Dad's right? excited again. Yeah, yeah. dad's yeah. excited. <laughs> Here he goes, Chanston, right? It's a, it's a fantastic asset. And the barriers to entry are so high. It sits in the demographic center of Melbourne, mm. um, an abundance of land. It just keeps reinventing itself, as, you know, whether it's office, whether it's a hotel, whether it's you know, almost fine dining, it just continually reinvents itself um, and drives returns. So to see a generic industrial portfolio priced on the same yield as ad, to me doesn't make sense. So I think the pricing is overdone. I think with industrial too, the other thing that people fail to recognize is the barriers to entry are quite low. Mm. Like if you're talking about building a shed out into you know the, really what is the outer areas of say Melbourne, there's an abundance of land, planning is easy and you can build a shed in 18 months, yeah. you know, potentially shorter. So the barriers to entry are low as well. So supply will come on. So seen as, as a beneficiary, but you've got supply, where I like industrial, if I was out there buying industrial in my own capacity, not just through buying stocks, is I like even fill opportunities. We can find that you're buying land with a cash flow and you can drive a home better use down the track to build something else. It might be, you know, apartments or office or something of a higher use and, and, and make your returns that way rather than just buying a shed out there collecting the rent, and then when your lease expires, your tenant goes, see you later, because a developer's building a new shed down the road.
0: Yeah, that's it. And it's very easy for them to pick up and move. Exactly. So
1: if you think of, say, you could have a Coles in a shed out in the outer area, if a developer comes along and offers them an incentive and builds a new shed, they could readily move. But if you've got a Coles, say, I don't know, Pick Taronga or somewhere like that in Melbourne, and they're doing fantastic sales, they can't just get up and leave that supermarket and go, Someone else will move in there yeah. and capture their sales. And,
0: and and to your point, you know the the uh, the, the return needs to, to capture that risk. And at four percent, it doesn't.
1: It just doesn't. It doesn't, Damien. And so that's my view. I'm I, I'm very um, I'm very non-consensus, if that's the right word to use on this, because the consensus is that simple view that you know e-commerce that's going to drive demand. Naturally, it's good for industrial, and it's just you know it's it's not taking off the blinkers in my view. Yeah, and
0: it's not recognising mm. the risks. Yep. So, uh, another tangential point, I suppose, on uh, COVID work from home industrial data centres. So, uh, you know, all of us, everything's uh, gone uh, on cloud and naturally uh, BCP uh, measures all uh, came into to play. Um, so data centres uh, have been, you know, the demand for it has been huge. So how have you seen uh, that one uh, play out? Is there new entrants coming into it? Is it still uh, got more to go in that uh, sector?
1: Um, well, if we go back to the whole um, work from home and just generally also the, the need for data, we're going to need more and more data. So yeah. that will drive demand for these type of facilities. So I do believe that we've got more to go and we'll see more data centres for sure. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the great investment. Um, the reason why I say that is, you know, real estate is, is more complex than, than, than that. Um, for example, at one of the webinars we hosted last year, I used an example of an, a data centre in, that had been bought in the Australian context um, and the pricing on that, on a rate per square metre, on the implied pricing versus say Fountain Gate here in Melbourne, was like double. Wow. And yet, on, a, on on the building area, and the yield was lower. And you look at it and you go, but it's a collection of sheds, and some of the sheds were actually quite old. Um, and they're paying double the price for this. So it's a bit like the industrial, it's very highly priced. If you think about real estate, I'm going a little bit off topic of the um, industrial, but I'll use an example, petrol stations. You know. We're probably, well, we will. We'll see less demand for petrol stations. Yep. We've seen that for years. There's actually, yep. there was a net positive petrol stations last year. There's just over 6,000 petrol stations in, in this country and there was a net increase. But I would expect less and less over time and you know, we'll probably shift to EV cars and you know, maybe even the petrol station disappears altogether. Yep. Right? We don't know that, but let's work on that basis. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad investment. Um, because of the underlying real estate might actually find a higher and better use. Yep, yeah. we saw that with drive-in cinemas. Mm. You know, the very light, low site coverage, um inner areas drive-in cinemas just don't exist. But you know, Toronga here in Melbourne, right near Turak, yeah. was a drive-in cinema.
0: Yeah, and now uh, who's in there? Coles are in there. Yeah, Coles. Their, yeah.
1: You know, you've got um, office buildings around it. You've got apartments. Mm. You know, a very central location. So real estate's more complex than that. So that's why again, I wouldn't get caught up on the theme of data centers because the better opportunities may be in the other areas to ride that higher and better use than just pay over the top pricing for something that is bespoke, suits that tenant mm. um, and you don't get a higher and better use opportunity down the track.
0: Yeah. So we'll, we'll leave it there, that yeah. was a, uh, a great uh, discussion there, we pretty much covered everything there from the Australian consumer. Uh, residential property, uh, what's going on with offices, and then into industrial. So that was a fantastic discussion. Thank you Grant for that, that was wonderful. And uh, we'll see you around soon.
1: Thank you Damien, it was absolute absolute pleasure to come into your tenancy here in our building as well, um, and uh, join you today, so thank you. Excellent, thanks for that.